Good morning. How is everyone? Good. I'm glad you're here. So good to see you today. Thanks for all of you that are joining us online. We are in the middle of a study of the book of Revelation. And I need to say on the upfront, if today is the first day you've ever come to church, we are throwing you in the deep end profoundly this morning and i just kind of want to apologize but kind of not because this is what it what it is and we're going to look at we'll read chapter 12 together we're going to look at 12 13 and 14 uh while you're turning there if you need a bible there should be one in the chair in front of you while you're turning there this this week was a really heavy news week uh once again and you know i i don't know how you process all of those kinds of things. Um, but for, for us personally, um, I, I spent a lot of time in, in Ukraine early on in my ministry and worked with uh, a, lot of, a lot of church leaders and a lot of churches, investing in churches there. And so I have, I have personal relationships there. And also uh, my father uh, was a missionary in uh, Russia. And so we have personal relationships there. He's actually um, married now to a Russian lady from Nizhny Novgorod. And so uh, we have relationships. And I kind of want to point that out because sometimes, sometimes we want to like, like, choose sides like we're 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 rooting for a a soccer team or a football team but the people on the ground level is where the pain is it's where the pain is and so i you know i'm more connected um my feet have been more places in ukraine than in russia i have more relationships there but also also in Russia. And so I'm just really burdened uh, for people. I know um, it's hard for everyone and out of control for everyone. There's good people uh, in Russia and good people in Ukraine. And it's just, it's, it's terrible. And so we would be crazy to not stop and pray for Ukrainians and Russians uh, in this, in this moment. And because I have Ukrainian friends and I've been talking with them this week, I hope that they can, uh, they can hear me. Some of them can watch today. Dobre ranok, ukrainski druzi, moja cirkva peridi i vitanja. Isus vubuit tsubai. Would you just pray? Just bow your head and pray. And ask the Lord to work and to move, to protect. So God, we, we bow to you. 
of the sovereign king of the universe and know that you're a compassionate God. You're, you're steadfast in your love for us and you're slow to anger. And uh, God, that you have compassion for the nations, that you're the God of all the nations, all the people groups. And God, we know that you know this is going on and you know the things that we don't know. And so we pray uh, for the church of Jesus Christ in Russia, for the church of Jesus in Ukraine. God, we ask that you would cover our brothers and sisters, protect our brothers and sisters. Father, um, for meet their needs in every way. God, for, for Russian Christians that are conflicted and hurt and for Ukrainian Christians that are burdened and scared, uh, God, I pray that you would meet their needs today. I pray for the people, all peoples in Russia and Ukraine. And I pray that as we continue to see these kinds of global shifts, that you would open our eyes to what you're doing. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see. We love you. We don't have any control over these things, God, but we trust trust you with it in Christ's name. Amen. Okay. No less heavy is Revelation chapter 12, 13, and 14. So if you would stand with me, we'll read Revelation 12, and then, but we'll, we'll actually study all three chapters. Verse 1, it says, And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and on his heads seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1260 days. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony for they loved not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice O heavens and you who dwell in them, but woe to you O earth and sea for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. 
But the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with the flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman and, sh- and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. You can be seated. Just to recap, just in case this is your first Sunday or you've never read the book of Revelation before, the first part of the book of Revelation, Revelation is a vision given to John by Jesus himself, John the disciple. And the first part of it is a letter to seven churches, real churches in biblical Asia Minor in about 95 AD under the rule of Domitian, the emperor in Rome. The second section of it, which is what, where we are today, part two of the Revelation study is what I would call the new Exodus. It's a picture of God like he did in Exodus, bringing his people out of bondage and brokenness like Egyptian captivity or the world we live in through judgment into a final promised land. And so we see these judgments that take place in what is called the Great Tribulation. Great Tribulation is seven years divided into two parts, 1260 days each, uh, three and a half years each. Today, particularly, we're looking at the second part of the Great uh, Tribulation. And the big questions that we have to wrestle with, we have to deal with today involve what you might have been reading just now and thought, what, what is that? That is crazy. Like, who is this woman? Who is the child? Who is the red dragon? What are the two beasts? Uh, which is two beasts are in 13. So you didn't read that, but we're going to get to it. What is the mark of the beast? All of those kinds of things are in 12 to 13. So a lot of people call this a, an interlude between seven trumpet judgments and seven seal judgments and what's coming next week, which are seven bowls of wrath. There is this interlude of three chapters kind of gives us the backdrop of the war that's taking place and introduces us to the main players. So that's what I want us to do. I'd like to break this into three sort of like mini sermons. If I, I can, the first one would just be related to this great sign In Revelation chapter 12, verse 1 to 6, I think this is important for us to note as we get into this is that whenever you see, and a great sign appeared in heaven, this is to show us something from God. It's something being revealed, and we need to pay attention to it. And the great sign uh, was a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and in the agony of giving birth. So this is the first part of the sign. The second is a red dragon. We'll get to you in just a moment. So who is this woman? That's question number one. What is this sign? Uh, perhaps the best way to think about it And looking at scripture from beginning to end is that this woman begins with Eve in the Garden of Eden and then manifests 
in the ethnic people of Israel, the ethnic offspring of Abraham. So let me explain that. That could be a, you know, four-hour dialogue in and of itself, but let me just quickly tie some things together. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, as a consequence to the sin of humanity, the consequence is to the serpent, and God is talking to the serpent who is, uh, is the devil himself. Verse 15 of Genesis chapter 3, it says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel so in genesis chapter 3 verse 15 god says to the to the devil to the serpent i'm going to make a war between the woman and you and her offspring will strike you will crush you Right? So that's the beginning of it, right? And then it flows through scripture. We see as you get to Genesis chapter 17, well, 12, 17, you see this whole theme of uh, the children of Abraham. Uh, Abra- Abram's name is changed to Abraham, given a covenant that would be the father of many nations, but there would be one nation, one people group that were chosen from that nation. And this, so you've got Eve now, a family tree moving through Abraham and from Abraham would come David and from David's line would come the Messiah, Jesus. Okay. All right. Again, I said four hours. I just gave it to you in four minutes, but here's what you need to understand. Biggest thing you would need to understand if you were, if you were in the great tribulation yourself, the woman is the ethnic offspring of Abraham, Jewish people. A Jewish nation. Two, she's giving birth to a child. Um, That child is the Messiah, is Jesus. He is the one who will rule according to Revelation chapter 12, verse 5. Shepherd is the same word as rule here in the passage in the original language. Shepherd all the nations with a rod of iron. So this child coming from this woman. He will shepherd the nations, rule the nations with a rod of iron. The red dragon, according to Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, is Satan himself. If you just want to look at verse 9, it interprets it for itself. And the great dragon was thrown down, the ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him so we get this great sign there's a woman she's going to give birth to this child uh incidentally a a lot of people not a lot of people one sect of theological thinking catholic thinking would say that that woman is mary uh however when you look at everything all together it can't be mary for lots of reasons, although Mary's in the line. She's just not the one that's raised up as the woman. It is, it is broader than that, okay? Now, so we have the woman, the ethnic offspring of Abraham. We have the child, the Messiah, the one who will rule or shepherd with the nations of a rod of iron. And we have the dragon who is Satan. And we learn that the child is caught up to his throne and in the tribulation and the woman is protected in the wilderness for 1260 days or half the 
tribulation, the final half. For those of you that are like uber nerdy like me on all of this kind of stuff, just dovetail to the Daniel 9 prophecy and go read Daniel 9 sometime after after this. Now, we have three. And so to simplify, the woman equals the ethnic offspring of Abraham. The child is Jesus. The dragon is Satan, the accuser, the deceiver. Everybody got that? Pretty good. Okay. Now, one difficult part for us to grab as as Western thinkers is that this is not, some of this is in very chronological order and some of it may not be. For instance, it says that the child is caught up to his throne. Well, we know this has already happened. This was the ascension from the Mount of Olives of Jesus after he died on a cross, after he rose from the dead, he ascended to the Mount of Olives. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. That's his position of authority currently. Um, this has already happened, but in the Great Tribulation, the final three and a half years, this this ethnic offspring of Abraham, at least a percentage of them, will be protected in the wilderness for 1260 days or for three and a half years, how they're protected, where they're protected. Other than we get the wilderness, there are all kinds of theories. We don't know, but these are the main players. That is the great sign. Okay. Second mini sermon, ready? That was a fast sermon, right? Second mini sermon. It's what I'm going to call a Trinitarian evil. You know how we have the Trinity, the father, the son, the Holy spirit, right? Well, there is a Trinitarian evil here in Revelation that is the dragon, beast number one and beast number two in verses in the latter part of chapter 12 and all of 13. I want us to take a look at these. So in Revelation chapter 12, as I said earlier, the dragon is Satan, the deceiver. He's the deceiver of the whole world. He apparently is thrown from heaven. Again, this is a chronology question. Has it happened? Will it happen again? Is it, ha- you know, it, it's very difficult to get your mind around this. We know historically, biblically, that Satan was thrown from heaven. He's a fallen angel. What we don't know if there will be a last banishment from any meeting, any presence uh, that he has with God, but this is kind of what it, It looks like here, there is a heavenly proclamation made about him in Revelation chapter 12, verse 10 and 11. It says, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ has come for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down. Now, let me just say, just as the Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit intercedes on the behalf of every Christian, every person in Christ, he's constantly interceding before the father. Even when we don't know how to pray, he's interceding Uh, on the flip side of that. The Bible defines Satan as the accuser of the brothers. He's, he's not interceding. He's accusing you and you and you and you and you always. He's the accuser of the brothers. He's been thrown down who accuses them day and night before God. So this is John's position. This accuser is, is accusing them in the presence of God day and night, but he's now been thrown down and they have conquered him. They meaning the saints, the believers have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Now this is like the second time we've 
we've received this message in the book of Revelation. The saints conquer, not with a sword, but by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. What Jesus did on the cross and the story of how Jesus works in their life. The blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. For they have not loved their lives even unto death. This is a heavenly proclamation. What it's basically saying is there is rejoicing in heaven in this time of great tribulation because Satan has been thrown down, no longer accusing the brothers. But what we find is not only is there rejoicing in heaven, but hell on earth. There is a satanic fury towards the woman, toward the ethnic offspring of Abraham. And somehow the earth helps the woman. And the dragon can't defeat the woman. Now, I don't know if that means the armies of the earth help the woman or if the cataclysmic sort of things happen in the world that help the woman. We don't know how, but he can't defeat the woman. So the scripture says he takes his wrath out, his fury out on her offspring. Look at Revelation chapter 12. Verse 17, it says, then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring. And it defines offspring this way on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. I think those people are the 144,000 that we talked about earlier. And also the multitudes that we talked about earlier that are not Jewish descent, but are Gentile descent who are sealed with the Holy Spirit that keep the commands of God. However, in this moment and this time, the enemy is furious and he makes war on the people of God because his time is short. Say that with me. His time is short. This is good news. The really good news. Now, inside of this three and a half years, there are two beasts that emerge in chapter 13. Of the book of Revelation. The first beast, it says, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 13, I saw a beast rising out of the sea. It had 10 horns and seven heads and 10 diadems. So when you see that, when you think about that, when you read that, instantly you think of some like zombie with a bunch of heads coming out of the water with seaweed and like, you know, it's not the zombie apocalypse. When we talk about coming from the sea, biblically, when you look at war in the Bible, what you find is that against the people of God, war from the Gentiles, from the nations, always comes from the sea. I'll give you an example. When we think about the conflict between the Philistines and the people of Israel, the Hebrew people, the Philistines, guess where they come from? The sea, the Mediterranean Sea. They live on the coastal plain. People of Israel live in the mountains, the Judah mountains. They clash in the middle in the Shephelah and the hill country of Israel. The Gentile threat always comes from the sea. Okay, so there's images of chaos, but there's also in images of this is the goyim, the Gentiles. So beast number one, most interpreters believe, will be a Gentile threat, meaning not Jewish. Uh, ten horns, seven hen- heads, ten diadems. This, uh, many think, uh, indicates some sort of alliance 
between countries because the ten diadems, the diadem word is a crown that means a kingly crown. It's not Stephanos that means like a victor's crown of running the race with endurance and you, you get the prize. But this is a kingly crown, an authoritative crown. So he's got these ten diadems. He gets his authority, according to verse 2, directly from Satan. And an interesting thing about him in verse 3, and I want you to look at it, it says one of its heads seems to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. So this thing about this beast's mortal wound is going to be repeated three or four different times in this section. And it always says that it causes the people to marvel or worship him. Now, that's an imitation of Jesus. This is one who had a mortal wound. It either should have killed him or did kill, kill him. It, it either was healed miraculously or he rose again with the marks of this mortal wound on him. But however that happens, the reason this is repeated over and over again is because he's an imitator of Jesus. Just like Jesus was mortally wounded and walked the planet, this beast is mortally wounded and walking the planet. Verse 4 just tells us people are enamored with that. And they worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, who is like the beast and who can fight against it? I mean, there's going to be a song that people sing. Who is like our beast? No doubt. It goes further to say that he speaks, verses 5 and 6, all he does is he speaks blasphemy against God, the name of God, and the, the citizenship of heaven. So he constantly speaks blasphemy against God, the name of God, and the citizenship of heaven. In verse 7, it tells us that he's allowed to war against the saints, the offspring uh, that we talked about earlier, those who keep the commands of God and walk in his way. And he's allowed to conquer them, to kill them. And verse 8 tells us that all of this power, all of this authority, all of this miraculous healing that takes place around this first beast. It says in verse eight, and all who dwell on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the lamb who was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. He says, all the inhabitants of the earth will worship this beast. Can you imagine? I mean, just think about it for just a second. Can you imagine if geopolitically everyone worshiped the same leader except for a percentage of people whose names are written in the book of life, who are enduring in this great tribulation? What kind of momentum would you have? What kind of influence would you have? What would you be able to accomplish if you, were that, if you had that kind of authority, that kind of power? And this is, this is how the world will be, according to the scripture, during this time. Now, there is a second beast. This is the, so if you have the red dragon, he's the first person of this unholy trinity. You have the, the first beast is the second person of this unholy trinity, a Gentile th threat. And then we have a second beast, which is the third person of this holy, unholy trinity. And he, it says in verse 11, then I saw another beast rising from the land or from the earth. 
So whenever we talk about the land or coming from the land, when you look at that in the context, particularly the context of the Torah, the Hebrew scriptures, when you look at that, you think of someone coming from the land, you're thinking of a Jewish person. Okay, so this, most interpreters believe, is likely a Jewish threat from inside the camp, right? Uh, from the land. So from the sea is Gentile, from the land is Jewish. He has horns, according to verse 11, he has horns like a lamb, but spoke like a dragon. So if you look at him, he, he, he approaches like a lamb. He might look like a lamb on the outside, but when he opens his mouth, he speaks like a dragon. Verse 12 tells us he has the authority of the first beast, and he makes people worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. Again, he's described this way if you just look at verse 12. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. So he's in effect doing the same thing the Holy Spirit does now with Jesus, leading people to worship Jesus who was mortally wounded, but now is resurrected and ascended to the right hand of the Father. This second beast is pushing people to worship the first beast. And he goes so far, according to the text, that he can perform great signs and wonders deceiving people. Verses 13 and 4 tells us he can even make fire come down from heaven. I mean, how, how believable would I be to you if I could just do that right now? I'm afraid to try. It might happen. These days are crazy. But you, if you saw something like that, you know, you, you, could easily be, you could easily be deceived because it represents great power. It seems like it's from, from God. He tells the people that they need to make an idol or an image for the beast in verses uh, 13 and 14. So this is very Nebuchadnezzar, uh, Daniel in the lion's den. If you can think back to any of that, if not, just ask Rabbi Google Daniel in the lion's den. It's going to pop up for you later this afternoon. This is everybody has to bow down to this idol and worship it. And if you don't, you die. This is the gist of the text. This is, this is what's happening in this day and the agenda that the second beast is pushing. Somehow, verse 15 says, the second beast is able to make the idol or the image talk. It makes it very believable. So whether that's just satanic or supernatural or some kind of weird ventriloquism, I don't know. But the text says he can make the beast image talk and people believe him. And again, he kills people who will not worship the idol. In verse 16 and 17, we get this thing called the mark of the beast. And I'll get you to look there in the scriptures just so everybody's clear on this because everybody, a lot of people have theories. Uh, I've had people in the last two years ask me about 15 different things that could be the mark of the beast. Um, let's just read what the text says so that maybe we understand that a little bit more. Verse 16, it says, also it, the beast, the second beast, also it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is six, six, 
six, or in some manuscripts, it's six, one, six. And we don't actually know why the deviation there, but there's the number. So what do we do with that? What is this mark of the beast? Well, there's a historical answer to this question, and then there's a futuristic application to this question. Historically, I told you when we started talking about Revelation, Revelation chapter one, that Domitian is the emperor during the time that John is receiving this revelation and it's being sent to the churches. Um, He, Domitian, like if you, I hope someday you can, Lord willing, come to biblical Asia Minor, to Turkey. There's a museum I want to take you in there. We go in this museum and there is a whole room filled with um, sculptures of emperors that they have just excavated, cleaned up, put back together so that you can see how the people pictured their emperors in Roman Asia Minor. And they, man, they made them like gods, you know, like strong, like there's no way that guy looked like that. It's not even human. Um, but they all look uh, amazing, right? And they have symbols, symbology, and all that kind of thing. Well, you get to Domitian, and Domitian is bigger than all the rest and, like, malformed, and his head looks funny, and he's, there's this one, you know, his fist that they dug out at Ephesus, I think, and it's just wrong. You just look at it, and it's like, one of these is not like the others, They called him the beast at the ground level those days. Domitian was a beast. So Domitian was the kind of guy, um, again, ask Rabbi Google. You're going to get to read all you ever wanted to read about Domitian. Don't believe everything Rabbi Google says, but there's a lot of good stuff there. So Domitian, he's the kind of guy that like, you know, like we have money and we have former presidents on our money. Domitian was the kind of guy that was like, I don't want to wait till I'm a a former emperor or dead to put my picture on all the money. We're going to put my picture on all the money right now. And then what Domitian did is in certain places that were neo-Coristan, where they worshiped Domitian for imperial cult worship, guess what you had to have in order to buy and sell? You had to have a mark, right? That's historical. It's the mark of the beast, the mark of Domitian. But then also there's a futuristic tendency. That's a picture of what it will be like in these days, in the great tribulation. Now, what we do know about the mark is going to be on your forehead and on your hand. That's what the text says. Um, Again, people extrapolate think all kinds of things, do all kinds of things. There might be all kinds of fun to, to have in that conversation. But here's, I think, what is most important. A friend showed me this several weeks ago, and I, I looked at it and I studied it because I wanted to make sure that this was likely true before I said it, and I believe that it is. The mark of the beast on the right hand, the forehead, is, is basically a reversal of the Shema. Now, hear me out. The Shema is, hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. It's what's given to Moses as he, as he leads the people on how to live in the promised land. 
Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. These commands that I give you today, they're to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Excuse me. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. And then it says, bind them on your forehead. Put them, and I just want you to look over there so you can see it, if you can flip fast. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 8. It says, You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be frontlets between your eyes. Which, when you look at an Orthodox Jew these days, you see the phylactery box between their eyes are on their forehead it's got the torah the shema scrolled up inside it you see them wrapping the teflon on their hand their right hand so this is the the first letter of i'm getting deep you'll never remember this but shen the first letter of the word shema because because they're following the letter of the law and it's all about loving god with all your heart and keeping his commands well the beast is saying we're going to mark your head and your heart a hand a different way not the shema way you're going to mark it with my mark now again we don't know all that that is but we know enough to know this we're not going to take the mark we can't we cannot and it's got practical ramifications because in order to buy and sell, put food on your table, work, all those kinds of things. We're going to be in this position as believers, as offspring of ethnic uh, Abraham, of the covenant people. We're going to be in this position where we cannot buy or sell. Now, that's many sermon number two. We're deep in the red. Look back there. There's a clock they put on me. And let me just say, I don't care. <laughs> at, the mo- at the moment, it's not your fault. It's just one more mini sermon. Revelation chapter 14. It's, it's really for the kids. <laughs> the clock is for the kids. Your kids are over there, you know, like, let me out. <laughs> so I have, have to have some compassion. Revelation chapter 14. It gives us uh, the third mini sermon, which is three messages from heaven. And I'll just list these three for you. And Revelation 14, verse 7, we get that, well, in the, in the beginning of the chapter, we get that this is a message coming from Mount Zion. We hear of the 144,000, the sealed remnant. The geography is an identity clue for us. The name of God is on their forehead. If you look, I mean, you ever heard a band like warm up? getting ready to like lead us or you're getting ready to a great concert. And if you look, it says, uh, it's, it's hilarious to me and I'm going to read it. And I heard a voice from heaven, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of thunder. The voice I heard was like the sound of a harpist playing on their harps. And they were singing a new song before the throne and before four living creatures and before the elders. No one could learn that song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. It's like they struck up the band to tell you some really good news. And here it comes uh, from heaven. There are three messages that we get. Beginning in verse 7, we get eternal 
eternal good news for every nation. And if you look at verse 7, 6 just says, this is an eternal gospel to proclaim. The gospel of the beast is short. It only lasts for a very short period of time. Gospel of Jesus is eternal. Verse 7, it says, and he said with a loud voice, message number 1, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. And worship him who made heaven and earth and the sea and the springs of water. Why would you worship that image when you could ascribe to the Lord who made it all the glory of his name? See, and this is the cause, the first message. The second message is this, verse 8, chapter 14. Another angel, a second, followed up saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who made all the nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. In other words, the fallen is the hub of all evil on the earth. That's what we're learning. This war is one. Third message. 14, 9 to 11 tells us that the full wrath of God will come. And the imagery is this, that there is going to be a harvest of the earth. And in the harvest, one like the son of man, verses 14 to 16, will come. And he is the reaper. This is Jesus. Jesus is the reaper. And there will be a great wine press of the wrath of God. And the blood that's talked about across the earth, you can see it there. You're talking about 184 miles of blood up to a a horse's bridle. But that's a lot. Now, this is, uh, this is a picture, a reference to Armageddon, the final war, the valley of Armageddon, all that takes place there. Revelation chapter 16, verse 16. You'll see it next week. That's the third message, third mini-series, three messages from heaven. Now, I'll just give you a response application and clothing, how, closing. How, how in the world should you process all this, right? Well, Revelation 13, 10 and Revelation 14, 12 and 13, it tells us that this is a time for endurance in the faith. So this is, this is thing number one. It's like we need to be a people that even in times like that endure in the faith. The last couple of years has been a, a sift for some people. We can see that sometimes when things get tense, tough, difficult, sufferous, uh, whatever, they don't, uh, beliefs are, are shifted and people don't endure sometimes. It will be a remnant that endures. And in this time, the, the application is we need to be a people that endure and have faith. Now, just a couple of pastoral thoughts just for you and for me as we think about this. What happens in Revelation chapter 13 is powerful and persuasive deceit. It's deceit and it's done really well. And Jesus says that even the elect are in danger of being deceived. So how do you avoid such deceit? Can I just say, uh, we live in a land of deceit, a culture of deceit, a globe full of deceit. There are messages that are sent to us every day that are deceitful. The last two years, a good, good picture of it. Nobody knows. You can put same people in the same room, same Lord. Everybody has different opinions about what's true related to the last two years because it's confusing. Lots of deceit. 
right? In the end, it's going to be really powerful. So how do we avoid such deceit? And the following things are essential. The first is this. Focus on Christ, his incarnation, atonement, and teaching. Focus on Christ, his incarnation, atonement, and teaching. So if you are immersed, I'll just pick two because they're, they're the ones, you know, that everybody picks. If you're immersed in CNN and Fox and all your truth is coming from one of those or some kind of hyper middle that you've chosen at this point, And you spend all your time there and you're not focused on Christ, his atonement, and his teachings. In these days, you will not discern the truth. Focus more on Christ, his atonement, and his teaching. Second, always determine the doctrinal positions of miracle workers. If they're in violation of scripture at any point, reject them. Right, so people do tricks slash miracles in the name of God through history and in the presence all the time. So check their doctrine. And the only way, that's what they believe about the scriptures, who God is, who Jesus is, who the Holy Spirit is, all those things. If their doctrine is off at any point, reject them. Put them out, reject it. Their power is from a different source. Third thing, be especially alert to people who do signs and wonders that hinge on or involve the exchange of money or goods. So if I'm selling you a miracle, I'm selling you power, and you have to have a particular mark to to, to buy, be especially alert to that. And in some ways, people sell signs and wonders all the time. If someone is selling you that, that is bunk. There's another word I think of. It's just wrong. It's just wrong. Fourth thing, remember that because everything will get confusing. Remember that regeneration Conversion to Christ and being born again is always the greatest miracle and the sure manifestation of the power of God. So let's say you see someone who can pull fire from heaven, but he blasphemes God. Understand, fire from heaven is not a greater miracle than millions of people through generations being born again, changed from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, transformed to being from children of wrath to children of God. That is the greatest miracle. The resurrection of Jesus set it all off. Don't, someone can call fire from heaven. They don't believe that. You focus on what is the greatest miracle. When you're uncertain, always seek discernment from the biblical text and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Here's what I noticed in the last two years, even in the church. People go with their favorite personality, influencer, uh, pundit, media outlet, and and what they feel because of all of that. They did that. These last two years is what people did. I don't care which side of it you were on. I'm just saying what people did. So we have to be a people who discern the truth 
by looking at the scripture and being guided by the Holy Spirit. Because all the other stuff is going to be very confusing. Don't pick a man or a woman or a person and, and think everything he says or she says is right. <laughs> Read the word of God. Let me say, eat the scroll like John had to do. Memorize it. Because you're going to need it. You need it now. And these days, even, even more so. Finally, remember that the scriptures teach that deceit and false miracles will increase as the world moves toward the eschaton or the, the end or the beginning. However you want to look at it. So watch for the increase of deceit and false miracles. Now, if, my little vantage point in the world. I'm 48. I realize I, I, I'm not 90. I don't know everything. But I think in my lifetime, I've seen an increase in deceit and false miracles. And it will continue to increase to, to the eschaton, to, to the end. The greater the deceit, the more people that will be deceived. It will be a few who hold to the lamb, the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. That's how you win. The blood of the lamb, the word of the testimony. Those are hard days. And again, I said, man, if this is your first day at church, sorry. Uh, It was a three pager. It's like 50 minutes. Sorry, but at the same time, not sorry. Not sorry. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Just ask the Lord to speak to you. Father, we bow before you, the sovereign king of the universe. We confess Jesus is Lord. We realize that we live in some confusing times, some volatile times, some chaotic times. And yet you call us to endure, to be faithful, to proclaim the messages of heaven, to be ambassadors for Christ on this world, in this world. Help us to know the truth and to walk in it. Father, give us a hunger for your word and guidance by your spirit. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Father, for for those that don't know you today, woo them by your spirit that they would know you. Believe that you died on a cross to save them from their sins, that you rose again, that you ascended into heaven like your word says, and that you're coming back again. Father, save souls. We pray. Father, for those of us that are the church of Jesus Christ, wake us up. Wake us up by your spirit. Speak to us through your word in ways that maybe maybe we've been not open to. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.